0: Tonight, we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, the book of Hebrews. Now, the name William J. probably doesn't mean anything to most of you. William J., but he was an outstanding preacher of long ago. Now, uh, the name John Newton will mean something to you. You're familiar with John Newton. Well, they were good friends. They ministered about the same time. 270 years ago, John Newton was born. William Jay lived about that time, 1740, 50, 60. In that area, they ministered the gospel in England. They were good friends. One day, Mr. Jay came over to visit... John Newton in his study. And uh, when he came in, he said to him, Brother Jay said, I'm happy to report that the Lord has saved a certain man, He called his name, over in Bath County. And Newton said, well, I'm glad. I rejoice. I praise God for fact he saved that man he said well did you know him newton said well yeah i knew him pretty well he said oh jay william jay said he was a notorious sinner he said you know brother newton he said "Uh, since the lord saved that man i'll never despair of anybody else john newton replied brother jay he said, "Since the Lord saved me, I've never despaired of anybody else. <laughs> if He can save me, He can save anybody. Who am I?" Mefibusha well, summed it up when he said, "Why are you merciful to such a dead dog as I am?" Well, anyway, what I'm, I introduced you to those two men to tell you something about William J. He was going to London, England, to preach. And of course, 250, 60, 70 years ago, they didn't have automobiles. They rode in buggies and uh, coaches. And he went out down the road from his church and where he lived to catch the, the buggy or the stagecoach, I suppose. They had him over there too, to London. And... Uh, Finally, the coach came by, and the driver was sitting up there holding the reins, and he said uh, to Mr. J, he said, friend, he said, uh, the coach is full. You'll have to sit up here with me. That's the only seat that's left is up here beside me. So William J said, I climbed up and sat down beside the driver, and we started down the road to, to London, and said the driver sat there, and Never said a word. <coughs> Drove the horses and never spoke a word to this preacher William J. And Jay Wanted to talk a little bit. He wanted. To, he wanted to be friendly, you know. Probably wanted to witness to him. And so he asked him as they rode along. He said, uh, "Where does that road go?" The driver said, "I don't know." They rode a little farther, and Mister. Jay said, "I spotted a house, and I." up the lane. I said, who lives there? He said, I don't know. He said, we rode a little further, and there was a castle up there, and he said, "Uh, you know the name of that castle? He said, I don't know. Jay finally said, "Uh, you really don't know much, do you? (laughs) He said, I know the way to London, and that's what I'm paid to do, take you to London. And so that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. I don't know much, but I know the way to God. And that's what I'm going to talk about this evening. The way to God. How does a man come to God? So look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. The way to God. It says here, and we're just going to run these verses, look at them and talk about them. In verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances or ceremonies of divine service and a worldly sanctuary for there was a tabernacle made. <laughs> now this first covenant, the word covenant is the word for, for testament. The word English word testament is the word for covenant. It's an agreement. It's a contract. It's a purpose and the first covenant, The one they're talking about here, the one the writer of Hebrews is talking about is the Mosaic Covenant. That has to do with the worship of God by sacrifices and priests and holy days and laws and so forth in the Old Testament. It's the Levitical Covenant. It's the Old Testament Covenant. And it says that that covenant had a sanctuary. It had a tabernacle. Now let me describe that tabernacle a little bit. You know, the average person thinks that tabernacle in the wilderness must have been an imposing structure. You just close your mind and think about that tabernacle. You've seen artist conception and so forth and it's sitting out there and and lights are coming from it and it's a huge structure. But really, let me tell you something, that tabernacle... I stepped this building off a while ago. That tabernacle was only this wide from right here at the corner of that seat to the wall, 15 feet. That's how wide that tabernacle was, sitting out there in the wilderness. You know how long it was? From that back wall to this wall right here, 45 feet. That's how long it was, from this wall to that wall back there approximately, and from this seat over that wall. That's how wide and long it was. It was 15 feet high. And it sat on a courtyard half as big as a football field, 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. That's where that tabernacle sat. And that courtyard had a seven and a half foot or eight foot white linen fence around it. This was the tabernacle. This is where God met men and men met God in worship. This is where the cloud was over the mercy seat, where the presence of God was manifested, where the pillar of fire at night. This is the tabernacle. And Israel, when they camped, all the 12 tribes of Israel were all around, and this tabernacle sat in the middle. And that white fence was around this courtyard, and there was one gate, the eastern gate, right out here. The eastern gate's that way yeah. You know, I mixed up this. The eastern, that's the only way in or out, was by the eastern gate. The people stayed out. And this tabernacle looked like any other, tabernacle is word for tent. It looked like any other tent. Any other tent. It was covered with badger skin. Dark, brown, worn, weather-beaten badger skin. And if you stood off on a hill and looked down at all the tents of Israel and all the encampment and this tabernacle, you really wouldn't see any difference in those tents. The difference was inside. And this tabernacle is a picture of Christ, Christ our Lord, who dwelt tabernacled among us. And they looked at him and said, well, he's the carpenter. We know his mother, Mary, and his brothers and sisters and He's just a man, a wine-bibber, a gluttonous man, a friend of sinners on the outside, you see. This tabernacle was badger skin, but inside was the very glory and holiness of God, the very presence of God. And that's who Christ is. He's our tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. But he appeared to me just to be an ordinary person, uh, any other man. But here sat this tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, this is on the first covenant. Now, listen to me. This is the first covenant. First, because it's first revealed. It wasn't the first covenant made. It's an everlasting covenant. And it's called the second covenant because it was revealed second. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes. It was, a, it was a, the, called the new covenant because newly revealed. But the everlasting covenant is older than this one. This one's a blueprint of that one that God revealed. All right. First, he said, in this tabernacle, verse 1, verse 2, There was a tabernacle made and the first part of the tabernacle there was a candlestick and a table and showbread which is called the sanctuary. In other words, here sat this tabernacle out there in the wilderness. And in the first part of it there were three pieces of furniture. There was the showbread with the twelve loaves for one for each tribe. There was the candlestick which was the light in that tabernacle. The only light in there. And up here by by the veil The second veil was the the, uh, altar of incense or the laver of incense. And that bread says Christ is the bread of life. That candlestick, Christ is the light of the world. And this incense, that's Christ's prayers that always ascended up 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Now, Now, watch this. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, do you get the picture there's that tabernacle sitting out there in the wilderness and the courtyard with the linen fence and there's the altar out there where they slew the animal and sacrificed burned its body and collected its blood and came towards the, the sanctuary and the priest washed his hands and his feet and then he came in and there's this outer court outer holy place then there's a huge veil it from the top to the bottom from one side to the other four or five inches thick Here's the veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies. The holy of holies was only 15 feet wide, 15 feet long, 15 feet high. But it was the very, the presence of God was manifested in that place. Let me read you about, read about here. In verse 3, after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, Overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Now you know what the average person knows about the Ark of the Covenant? Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) That's just about how much they know know about the Ark of the Covenant. That's what he was looking for. That Ark. Now this Ark, let me tell you. Here sat that tabernacle. There was the holy place out there and in behind this veil is the holy of holies and that's where the ark was that ark was about three feet long about two feet wide and two feet deep that's how big i'm gonna read you about it in a few moments and it sat inside that holy of holies and there were cherubims one on one side and one on the other winged creatures there sat the ark Right there in that Holy of Holies, and the cherubims on each side, and a mercy seat over that ark. Mercy seat called propitiation or covering. And there between the cherubims, over the mercy seat, was the Shekinah glory. Somebody asked me one time, what is Shekinah glory? It's the presence of God. It's the personal glory of God. It's a manifestation of God. God Almighty was over His presence and glory. Overshadowed that mercy seat Between the cherubim And that's where God met men And once a year That high priest would come into that Holy of holies Once a year the high priest Only the high priest Not without blood Which he sprinkled with hyssop On that mercy seat And they called it the atonement For in that ark There were three things There was the golden pot of manna You know, the manner that he fed them in the wilderness, the bread from heaven. There was Aaron's rod that budded. You say, well, what's Aaron's rod that budded? Well, some of the people objected to Aaron being the priest. See, God selected Aaron to be the high priest. No man takes this honor upon himself, but he whom God has chosen. Even Christ didn't make himself the high priest. God made him the high priest. And God made Aaron the high priest. And these fellows complained about it. They said, How come he's the high priest, not one of us? And and Moses said, we'll settle it before God. All of you you fellas gather here, and all of them had a shepherd's rod. And Moses said, every one of you, throw your rods down on the ground. And the rod that buds, buds, yes, the rod that grows a bloom and a limb. Here's a shepherd's rod, throw it on the ground, and the one that... Blossoms, the one that has limbs grow out of it and blooms. That's the high priest. They all threw him down. Aaron threw his rod down and it budded. God said, that's my high priest. That's my high priest. Don't You come to God his way. There's a way to come to God and every other way is the wrong way. Christ said, I'm the way. And so they put that in the, in the mercy seat. They put them in, in, the, in the ark. That rod was in the ark. And that, that uh, manner. But the most important thing, the two tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, which God wrote himself and gave to Moses. You know, Moses broke the first set, and God gave him another. Isn't that true? God gave him another. And he, they put that in the ark. Now watch this. Here's that ark sitting in the Holy of Holies, that holy place and in that ark is the broken law and over that over that ark was a mercy seat you sang about it the other night the mercy seat mercy seat means covering means propitiation it means forgiveness and that's over the broken law now let's read about turn to Exodus 25 Exodus 25 now, this is so important, Exodus 25. And, you know, I feel like Mr. Spurgeon said one time, he said, well, if words mean anything, <laughs> that's what this means. How do these people come to God? All right, Exodus 25, verse 10. Exodus 25, 10. And thou shalt make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. If you want to write in your Bible, margin there, a, a cubit is 18 inches. That's what a cubit is, 18 inches. So this arc is 2 times 18. What's that? 36 and 9 is 40, what? 5 inches long. Is that right? And it shall be, that's the length, and a cubit and a half the breadth. That's 18 and 9 is 27 inches wide, right? 27 inches wide. That's 2 feet and 3 inches, and a cubit and a half high. 27 inches high Now overlay it with pure gold Within and without shalt thou overlay it And shall make upon it A crown of gold round about And thou shalt cast four rings Of gold for it On each corner put a ring of gold And put them in the four corners Thereof and two rings shall be on one side And two rings on the other side That's to carry it with See, Nobody but the priest could carry this ark This ark is holy Now you watch this And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, and put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, and that the ark may be borne with these staves. In other words, these four priests would carry the ark. Wherever the ark went, it always went before Israel. When they marched, it went before them, the ark. And the priests would carry it. You remember when David sent that bunch down to get the ark, and they put it on a cart? David knew better than that. The ark was never to be carried by anybody but the priest. And that's the reason God killed Uriah. He reached around to touch the ark, you know. It was on, a, it was on an ox cart. And, and David read these words. I tell you, this is, I don't care even if David comes the wrong way, God will deal with somebody. Now, he will. He, he will not compromise his glory. And the staves, listen. They shall be born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall never be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony that I give you, the commandments. Put them in the the ark. Now watch this. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, a cubit and a half the breadth. See, it's beaten gold, thin gold, this mercy seat. And it goes right on top of that ark. It's as wide as the ark. It's as long as the ark. It covers, there's nothing lacking. It covers the whole ark. There's not, not any overlap, but it just covers the whole ark. It, his blood covers all our sins. It covers all the broken law. It takes care of all of it. It's sufficient. All right, read on. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. I read that verse 18. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. These are the two cherubims, a beaten work shalt thou make them in the end, two ends of the mercy seat, one on each end. And make one cherubim on one end, and the other cherubim on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall be the faces of the cherubim. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, over the law. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony, the commandments I'll give you. And there I will meet with you. That's where I'll meet you that's where you'll come to God and that's where you'll meet God at the mercy seat nowhere else you know if I tell Brother Gerald tonight when we part company say, now Jack and I will meet you and I don't know much about Houston I'm going to pick it down here at Luby's on the left y'all know where that is that's where we'll meet you that's where we'll meet you Gerald down here at Luby's in the morning at 845 okay that's where I'll meet you that's where I'm going to wait on you That's where you're going to meet me. Suppose tomorrow morning you drive over to Foley's or Mervyn's or one of those places. and You see Gerald standing there. And he said, what are you doing over here, Gerald, waiting on Henry? Did he say he'd meet you here? No, he said he'd meet me over at uh, Luby's, but it's cooler over here. (laughs) I like it better over here. This is where my dad met my mother over here. You've heard all that, haven't you? I love my old country church. That's where my granddaddy went. That's where so-and-so went. This is where we always met everybody. We never did meet anybody at Lubus. But didn't he say he'd meet you over there? That's what he said, but I like this place better. You're going to miss him. You're going to miss him. And Almighty God says, I'll meet you where the blood covers the broken law." I'll meet you. Isn't that what he says? He says, if the words mean anything, Chris, what does that say? There, I'll meet with you. I will meet you at the mercy seat. And I'll commune with you. Now, commune is fellowship. I'll receive you. I'll talk to you. And you'll talk to me. And that's where it'll be from above the mercy seat, but from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony and all, of all things which I will give thee in commandment the children of Israel. That's where I'll meet you. Oh, I tell you, I love that scripture. Now let's look at Romans chapter 4, I chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And it talks about... Uh, it talks here in Romans 3 about uh, what we are. Romans 3.19, it says, Romans 3.19, that we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God, the broken the law. Therefore, by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in God's sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets it's even the righteousness of God which is by the faith of Jesus Christ upon unto all and upon all them that will believe there's no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation what is that word? a mercy seat. That's who Christ is, a mercy seat. God has set him forth to be a mercy seat through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that have passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, God's righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Now let's go back to our text a minute. Let me show you something else here. All right. Now... Behind that second veil, Hebrews 9, verse 3. After the second veil, the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, overlaid laid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shattering the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, when these things, when that tabernacle stood, when this holy of holies stood, when that veil was intact, now when Christ died, what happened to the veil? It was torn in two. But when these things stood, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, that outward part over there, the holy place, with the showbread, the candlestick, and all. Accomplishing the service of God. But now listen. But into the second went the high priest alone. Once every year. Not without blood. Which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. What were the three things back then in that tabernacle absolutely essential to coming to God? What were the three things? Absolutely essential. All right, there was the tabernacle, the mercy seat. Had to be a mercy seat. Had to be a place to meet God. You that right? Had to be a place to meet God. What's the second thing? Absolutely essential in that holy of holies. The priest. There had to be a high priest. Nobody else was allowed in there. Nobody else was allowed in there. He was the only one. So he came representing them. What's the third thing? Blood. A blood sacrifice. Those were the three things. Essential to coming to God. First, there had to be that designated place where God said, I will meet you. Mercy seat. Secondly, there had to be somebody representing us. The high priest. And thirdly, you had to have a sacrifice. He had to have blood. That's what somebody talked this morning about the lamb. Abraham and the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. I know it was David on television this morning. That's what he talked about. Where's the Lamb? All right, now look at verse 8. Now here's what the Holy Ghost is teaching us back there under that old covenant. The Holy Ghost is this signifying that the way into the holiest of all, into heaven, into the presence of God, was not yet made manifest while that first tabernacle was yet standing which was a figure a type, a picture for the time then present in which were offered gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertained to the conscience this blood of animals couldn't put away a man's sin this high priest work was not effectual or he wouldn't have kept doing it you see that's what Hebrews look over Hebrews 10 a minute verse 4 It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Verse 2 said, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because once the worshippers purged, there would be no more conscience of sin. In other words, if that high priest coming into that holy place and sprinkling blood on the mercy seat could put away their sins, he wouldn't have had to do it next year. He would have to keep doing it every year. Every year. Every year. And that's a picture. That's what that is. That's a type. All right, read on Verse 10, these things stood only in meats and drinks and different baptisms, washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Until the time of Christ's coming. All right, watch this. Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What's this say? The same thing back yonder in picture that was necessary for these sinful people to come to God. A mercy seat, a priest. And blood is necessary for you Desta, to come to God. Where's your tabernacle? Where's your mercy seat? It's Christ. He tabernacled among us. He's our mercy seat. He's our tabernacle. God says God meets us in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus Christ said no man comes to the Father but by me. He that has seen me has seen the Father. No man has seen the Father, but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. You want to meet God? Come to Christ. You want forgiveness? Come to Christ. You want mercy? Come to Christ. Come to the mercy seat, who's the high priest. He's our high priest. That's what it says, Christ being come, verse 11, a high priest of good things to come. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered how many times? Once. Once. Into the holy place. What holy place? The very presence of God. And obtained eternal redemption for us. That's the way to go. <coughs> Look over here at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 verse 6. Let me look. let you look at this a moment. Verse 5. Wherefore when Christ cometh into the world. He said. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. These, these sacrifices. These rivers of blood. These many sacrifices. Never gave God satisfaction. Then said I. Christ speaking, lo I come and the volume of the book is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not neither had pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. What's this first? And establishes the second. What's the first? First tabernacle. Christ is our tabernacle. First high priest, gone. Christ is our high priest. First sacrifices, gone. Christ is our sacrifice. First Adam, gone. He's the second Adam. Our first nature, gone. We have a new nature. The first covenant, gone. We have a new covenant. That's right. This old first earth will soon be gone. We'll have a new earth. I make all things new. Look at verse 10. By the which will we're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest, they stood daily. There were men. There were many of them. They stood daily, ministering, offering, oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You know, when I talked about the tabernacle a while ago and the different pieces of furniture, there was the altar, and there was the laver, and there was the showbread, and there was the candlestick, and there was the incense, and there was the ark. There wasn't a chair. There wasn't a chair anywhere in that time. In a courtyard or in the time. Why? The priest never sat down. They never sat down because their work was never finished. Their sacrifices couldn't put away sin. But Chris, he offered one sacrifice and sat down. He sat down. Expecting until his enemies become his footstool sat down, verse 13, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I want to read one more scripture before I close. Over here in Hebrews 9. Go back over there. and This is, the, this is Christ is our mercy seat. Christ is our high priest. Christ is our tabernacle. Christ is our sacrifice. And he obtained eternal redemption. Now look at verse 13. If the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know, if those people back then Standing around. Standing around that old tabernacle. And here this priest, Aaron, following God's orders to the letter. He took a lamb without blemish or spot and he killed it. And he caught the blood in a basin. And he burned the body out there on the altar. And then he came walking across the courtyard. And all these people standing watching and waiting. This is their high priest. This is the day of atonement. This is a day when the high priest is going into God's presence for them to hold back the judgment of God. And they watch him. He comes and he washes his hands. Washes his feet. Got to be holy to go before God. And they all watch him. Breath, not a word spoken. He's alone. Not anybody with him. Alone. He goes into the tabernacle. They lose sight of him. He walks across that first holy place and he stops at the altar of incense and he gets some of those hot coals and incense in a censer. He's got to have that that incense when he goes under the veil into the holy place. That's the prayers of Christ that ascend up to heaven. He has the blood and he has the incense. And he goes under that veil and he walks up to this ark. He walks up to this awesome ark with its broken law the testimony of God the mercy seats the cherubims and the, there he stands before the presence of God the shekinah glory of God over that mercy seat and that place is filled with that incense smoke and he takes that blood and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat everybody out there waiting waiting wait to see if God is going to receive it the sacrifice Always, oh, and he sprinkles it after, they don't see him he's alone in there after a while he goes under the veil again and walks out into the open there he is I bet their cheer one up I bet an exclamation joy hallelujah God has accepted the sacrifice the wrath of God is held back now if that blood of bulls and goats on that typical altar, mercy seat, 2,000 years, 4,000 years ago, can hold back the wrath of God. How much more, how much more can you and I rest if they can find some joy in that high priest sacrifice? If they can find some joy in the blood of that animal on the mercy seat, how much more will the blood of Christ? Who offered himself without spot to God. With his own blood in the very presence of God. Hold back the wrath of God from you and me. How much more? Can I rest in his blood? You say how do we know God accepted his sacrifice? He came out of the grave. Our high priest went to Calvary by himself. He walked the winepress of God's wrath alone. He went to Calvary. And there he died and they put him in the grave and we didn't see him. They rolled a stone over there but he said he went into the presence of God and offered his blood and one day he came out of that grave and God is saying, listen, gave the whole world witness that when he rose again, he's who he said he was. God accepted what he did and God accepts him now for us. How much more? Isn't that a beautiful statement? How much more? If the blood of an animal can hold back the wrath of God typically, how much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God?